Hello and welcome into another episode of Podcast 63. This week, uh, it is Season 5, Episode 2, and we have an awesome guest in store for you. Um, we are going to be talking with Kevin Sweeney of Sports Illustrated, uh, who is a Northwestern grad and has been covering Loyola since the year of their Final Four trip. Um, and then we'll be talking just kind of all things Loyola and Atlantic 10 with him. Uh, we want to kind of bounce some thoughts off of him uh, regarding other teams in the Atlantic 10, um, who we need to watch out for potentially. Uh, and we're going to ask him if if he thinks that the top three teams in the Atlantic 10 are are ones that we should fear uh, in Dayton, SLU, and VCU. And then after some A-10 talk, we'll get into some specific Loyola talk about recruiting, scheduling, um, and uh, what we can expect from our guys uh, this year and also from the program going forward. So stick it with us here at Podcast 63. Thank you all for listening. Don't forget, always remember, go Blurs. He jumps, he passes out to Hunter. Hunter shoots off the rim. Brown Skipper scores. It's over. It's over. We won. We won the ball game. Viola won the ball game. Oh, we won. 60 to 58. And we are back. Um, so, uh, like we said last week, uh, we have an awesome guest here with us uh, this week. Uh, his name is Kevin Sweeney. Uh, he writes for SI Now, um, and uh, he has been covering Loyola for a bunch of years, uh, is a Northwestern grad, and uh, we're super happy happy to have him on. Uh, Kevin, how's it going? Good, guys. I, I appreciate you uh, appreciate you having me on. Uh, I live walking distance to Loyola, uh, and obviously Northwestern is not that far from Loyola, so I've been, I've been very fortunate to be around the last few years, particularly... Last year, once I became a full-fledged member of the college basketball media, and uh, it's a treat. I mean, Loyola is a really unique, cool little place in the college basketball ecosystem, and uh, certainly has punched above its weight recently. And it's cool to have that type of program in your backyard. And excited about the future there. Obviously, the past has been incredible, and uh, excited to, to hop on and chat about the uh, chat about the players with you guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, before we uh, get into the basketball stuff. I forgot that you live around campus. Uh, what is your go-to, like, Friday night, Saturday night, like, either takeout, take-in food around around uh, Rogers Park or Edgewater or whatever? So, I mean, I, I do – I obviously love Raising Cane's. Like, I – For sure. I, yes. I used to, like, when I, was yes. at, when I was at Northwestern, I would come down for Loyola games. Like, it was a guarantee that after the game I was going to get Cane's before I went back. Uh, but now I would say my favorite thing to get from that vicinity is Bop and Grill – Mostly because mm-hmm. I can get it delivered. Like the can- like canes, you gotta go. I'm like, I don't know. If, I don't know if I want to walk like 20 minutes from my place, 25 minutes from my place. Like I could drive over there, but that feels wasteful. So like, <laughs> I keep canes more on like a once every like three to four week rotation. Like I've given Bop and Grill so much of my money in the last like six to eight months. It's it's a little ridiculous. So <laughs> shout out to them. The food's great. The burgers are good. The bowls are good. They're great. I actually, uh, fun fact, I worked there as a dishwasher for like six okay. months as a okay, sophomore in college. Yeah. No, their stuff's great. If you ever get the chance to go on a Sunday, uh, they have Philly cheesesteak egg rolls. Um, and, but I don't know if you can order them for, for like delivery. And also they sell it super quick. So, but if you ever just like have nothing to do on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon, I'm, I'm telling you they're worth the, uh, worth the effort. I love it. I love it. Sweet. Well, uh, let's get into some basketball here. Um, 
We're uh, we're happy to have you, like we said. Um, but uh, we want to talk some some A10 as well as Loyola. Um, you know, for our fans and for our listeners and everyone uh, in the Loyola community, we obviously are in this new conference. We've been talking about it a lot, and now we're getting down to the nitty gritty. We're getting down to the time where uh, you know uh, it's it's a few weeks until until the start of the season. Uh, rosters are set for the most part. You know, there's lots of uh, lots of buildup on the season um, to come. And so, you know, just recently we did have A10 Media Day, um, and uh, the the poll came out for the season. So, just kind of starting from the top, um, there's three teams that are ahead of Loyola uh, in St. Louis, Dayton, and VCU. And I think just for us and for other Rambler fans, like how good are those teams? Um, you know, we saw today uh, Dayton was ranked in the first AP poll. Um, I know they're kind of a younger team. They finished on a strong note last year, but um, yeah, between those three teams, if you could just give some kind of context to how good they are and, and uh, what their season outlook looks like. Yeah, I, I would join the AP in having Dayton as a top 25 team. I actually have them higher. I have them, I believe, 17th nationally. Um, they're really good. Um, if you look at the advanced analytics, they were a top 25 team last year after November 23rd. Um, which is when they started the Orlando tournament that they were in, where they beat Kansas, obviously went on to win the national championship. They lost three games early on um, to bad teams. They lost, I think, UMass Lowell, Lipscomb, and Austin P because they were playing all freshmen. They didn't really know what they were. Um, they were really, you know, you hear every, every coach talks about, oh, we're finding our identity. But, like, they were the epitome of finding our identity. And when they found it, they were pretty darn good. And then they get to bring it back. They bring back everybody pretty much. They bring in a top 75 freshman. Um, but the core of them is, is Deron Holmes, who I think should be a 10 player of the year in the preseason dominant, uh, athletic big man who can, you know, impact the game on both ends of the floor. Uh, and then Malachi Smith, their point guard, who's really kind of shifty and, and creative with ball screen. And I think will be one of the best players in this league for a long time. So I think, I think they're really legit. I think St. Louis is just a little bit behind them. I'm just outside of the top 25, but I think they have, if they wound up as a top 25 team, it wouldn't shock me. Um, they've got three excellent players, three truly excellent players, all in the backcourt. You're their point guard, Yuri Collins, um, Gibson Jimerson, who's an elite shooter, and then Javante Perkins, who could have been A-10 player of the year preseason last year and then got torn ACL in the preseason in their secret scrimmage, which is, you know, as brutal as it gets. Um, those three guys are, are as good as you can find in this league, really in almost any league in the country. They can play anywhere. Um, I know – Collins was in the portal, um, tested those waters, and then obviously decided to come back. And then VCU. I think VCU is probably closer to Loyola nationally. I have them, I think, within five spots of where I have Loyola in that kind of 50s range. So on the bubble, probably lean NIT over NCAA tournament, but things can swing in a hurry there with one or two results. Defense, the name of the game there with them. I mean, they're just – Mike Rhodes is as good a defensive mind as I think you find in college basketball – um, they're going to be athletic, they're going to be long. And they've got two younger guards, Ace Baldwin and Jaden Nunn, that I think have a chance to be really, really good. I, th- I think that's the thing that, that you look at. It's been funny because I, I, if you're wondering why someone like Braden Norris isn't maybe getting the kind of national, in the national talk about the A-10, where he would be obviously if he's in the Valley, it's because the guard play in this league, especially at the top, is so good. Like Malachi Smith's going to be awesome. Gary Collins is one of the best passers in college basketball. Ace Baldwin's one of the best defensive players in college basketball and can really play off the bounce. Like the guards in this league, especially at the top are really, really good. I mean, Foster Lawyer, obviously at Davidson as well. Like 
those are the types of guys that make it harder for someone like Braden to get attention. So, uh, I mean, the league's really strong. I think it has a really good chance to get three bids, maybe even four. Um, I think the, um, you know, it's, it, it's a rising tide that lifts all boats. Obviously you want fewer, fewer games that hurt your potential resume and more games that help. And, you know, playing Dayton twice is a great opportunity, right? Playing slew, um, you know, playing Slew is a great opportunity. Playing VCU is a great opportunity. Those are the those are the games you need to really capitalize on um, if you want to go to the NCAA tournament. It's those games that are going to be potential Q1 games. That I think that's one of the things when you talk about okay, we're moving. You're moving to the A10. What does that What does that mean? It means that you have real needle moving games in conference. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you there. Um, it is something that I know we've talked about. We're pretty excited about having those opportunities late in the conference season. Like, I mean, the past couple of years, just those type of games haven't existed other than a matchup or two with Drake. Um, uh, but yeah, Lou, but before we move on, do you have any, any thoughts on the, uh, on that kind of like part of what you said? Yeah, I would say the biggest thing for me, and I appreciate the note of four bids, right? Because let's be honest, Loyola sits at four on the first media kind of preseason poll. Um, was is four realistic? Is the eight, again we're we're coming from the valley, right? And two a few years ago was kind of the biggest shock. Uh, it was like Drake got in, and people were like, "Wow, Valley made it two. And then that doesn't happen. But the A10 things do happen in multiples. There there are two teams, especially last year, right? And then you saw the run some of those teams had. But three again is kind of sitting that is the comfortable spot. I think a lot of people are saying, but is there, is it always going to be a multiple bid league? Is it this year? Kind of what's your outtake on the A10 with multi bids? I think it's almost always going to be a multi bid league. Um, well, I'll put it this way. There will always at least be one at large caliber team in the league. Mm-hmm. One like relatively clearly at large. Like last year was not a great year for the league that didn't have a truly like a, a tr- it didn't have other than Davidson an at-large team, but the league tournament's so competitive. Davidson goes down, Richmond takes the auto bid, and I get two. There's been that case a couple of times here the last, uh, you know, several seasons where they've been closer to two than four. You really want to get to four, and I think the A10 as a league you've seen is committed with the hires that they've made, with the facilities investments, the staff investments. Those are all the things you're looking for to make that consistently four, maybe even jump that number. Um, so I would, I would think this year, again, I mean, this is a cop out to say, oh, I think it's three, but I think three is probably a good number to shoot for because I think there's two clear at large caliber clubs and, you know, St. Louis and obviously Dayton, who I mentioned is a top 25 team. And then you've got all these other options. You've got the auto bid potential for all of the other teams. You've got VCU and Loyola, who I don't think are that far off. You have super talented teams in the middle, like UMass, like George Mason, but they could be really good. So, um, I think that at the end of the day, it will be a clearly stronger league in the Valley in terms of NCAA tournament bids. Um, I, I, I think the, the way I would put it is it's like in the Valley, there are a lot of games that are really hard to win, but don't give you a lot if you win them, right? Like mm-hmm. playing, playing a team that's 95th in Ken Palm, uh, or 95th in net, cause that's what the NCAA uses, right? Like, like Bradley will be like 95th. Mm-hmm. Playing Bradley, like that's all, at home is all downside. You win that game, it's a Q3, who cares? If you if you play it close, people are going to say, wow, they're struggling with Bradley. But, like, Bradley's not bad. Like, Brad, Bradley's a postseason team. Like, Bradley can win 20 games. Like, Bradley's a team that if they're a 13 seed in the NCAA tournament, people are picking to beat a four. Like, they, they were good. Like, they were good last year. Like, we'll just use them again as an example, right? Like, 
the A10, you're going to get a lot of those games where they'll be 70th instead of 95th. And that 25-spot gap is the difference between, oh, wow, like this is just a trap, and this is a game that actually means something to us if we win it. This is a Q2. And if we lose, it's not the end of the world because, again, it's Q2. Do I love the way these kind of quadrants always shake out? No, but at the end of the day, that's just the way these things operate. And I think the A10, because it's just slightly stronger, a lot of the games that felt like trouble only in the Valley are now games in the A10 that really matter and are games that can actually help you get into the NCAA track. So, yeah, I think that's that's a really good comparison kind of to the MVC. And this is kind of just a follow-up to that is that with the MVC last year, we always, especially just Buck and I here, just when we do the preseason, it was like, okay, there's a Tier 1 and then there's a big gap in Tier 2, right? Um, but when you look at Ken Palm, even just because, again, nearly the lord of rankings, um, he kind of groups A10 really, like, not far from each other. I think it's, like, George Mason Davidson are, like, neck and neck. And it's, like, then VCU and Richmond. So is there a gap you think – again, there's a gap. Maybe there's only three bids, right, where no one's getting five bids. But is there a gap in talent with these when we look at these preseason polls? Or is it really, like, the echelon of the top six can really just – any given game – can really change, especially if it home court, home advantage or not. I think there's probably a cutoff at some point where you start to say, okay, these teams are clearly not all that talented, mm-hmm. but I think it takes a while to get there. Like, I think it takes to like 10 or 11 to, to get to the point where you start to say, okay, that's like a game where you can bring your C game or you can bring your D game and have a chance to win, right? Like, I, I don't want to, like, I'm going to throw a stray at Evansville here, but like, well, look at a play that's worst game of the year and beat Evansville last year. Like, mm-hmm. even, like, even the bottom four in the A-10, you have the St. Joe's, LaSalle's, the George Washington, a lot, a lot was down there last year. I think George Washington could be better, but, like, Fordham obviously has been, been that brand for a long time. Is it, you know, Fordham, Fordham's supposed to come in the last four to six. Like, those teams are always a little bit tougher, but I do think there's a cutoff at some point. I think it's probably um, around that 11 spot where I have GW. Like, that, that's not a top 150 team in the country. Mm-hmm. And once you get outside of that, like, Eh, it's not an easy cutoff, but once you get aside, like, like those are games you should be able to win. Those are games you should be able to kind of play with your food in, if you if you will. Like you you, you don't have to play your best football or basketball. I'm sorry, I got Monday night football on this week. Is your best? You don't have to play your necessarily your best basketball and still get over the finish line. So I think that's that's probably where it lies. But I think again, you just have a lot. You have a lot more of those opportunities in the Valley than the A10, and I think that's one of the reasons why. I mean, the Valley's always a rough and tumble league. It's super well coached, super well, well scouted. But I think that's one of the reasons why you see in the A10 the consistent parity in the middle because teams are just beating each other up because of how good you have to be on a night and night out basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. Yeah. And, and it was, again, I think we noticed that a lot last year just with this Loyola team. Uh, just last year we went down to Bradley and lost at Bradley, right? And that, that like, to us, we know that's a very tough environment, very tough team. But again, on the whole quadrant scale, it's it's not maybe valued as what we know it. And again, maybe we're we're part we're not really looking at it right because we we know the teams well. But it it is a tough thing. And again, with this new conference, it's kind of good to now grasp and understand. So I appreciate that point because it really at the end of the day, that's what we're looking at, right? When it comes down to the rankings, oh, it could the middle of the group could just be all bundled up with each other, and that's just because of the level we're playing at now. So very interesting. Thanks. Um, speaking of that sort of like middle middle tier of the league, um, besides those top three teams that I mentioned earlier, we've been talking about. Is there anyone that like uh, jumps out at you as just like kind of a fun matchup for Loyola? Like in terms of just like college basketball goes, like maybe not even 
like talent level. But, uh, you know, if it's like a Chicago, New York matchup or, you know, um, I'm of course drawing a blank on his name right now, but the, the big from George Mason, Mason, who I know is very good, like to see how he matches up with the new, uh, center at Loyola, Bryce Golden, like just anything, anything other than those top three to kind of jump out at you that might be a fun matchup for Loyola this year. Yeah, I mean, I think generally, like, I think, I think, I, the thing I, one of the things I see from Loyola fans is like, I think they, they had an appreciation for some of the cool environments in the Valley, some of the unique things. Obviously, Arch Madness and adopting that. Like, I think Loyola fans will enjoy some of the unique environments of the A10. Like, going to St. Bonaventure is like a, a wild trip. You're in the middle <laughs> of nowhere. It's cold as the Arctic. The fans are rabid. The school is like 2,000 people, and somehow they're all at the game. So I think things like that you guys are like really enjoy. I, I think the you know going into you know going into you know Dayton and VCU obviously those are the environments that people know, but I think there are other unique environments like Bonaventure that I think are cool. And I think from a matchup standpoint, I think the one I would probably circle, and I know Loyola gets him twice, is George Mason, just because mm-hmm. I think one the talent level is really high, but I think it's going to be cool to watch two young coaches who are as who have, want to have a good relationship um, and Drew Valentine and Kim English, who's the head coach at, at, at George Mason, but two guys who are leading the profession into tomorrow, two guys who, and I, that, that feels you know, lofty to put on both of those guys, uh, but like two, two really young coaches, two of the five youngest in the sport who are really, really good with the players, really, really high level basketball minds, X's and O minds, um, Who've obviously who've done it at the highest level, who have won early in their tenures. I know Kim's last year they they didn't win as much as I think they thought they would, but they still improved pretty substantially in the computer metrics from year over year and developed a guy like Aduro have landed top 100 recruits. Like he's building something there, and he he will be a guy who will be on every list, just like Drew. And that's something you guys I'm sure are already preparing to deal with. Like Drew's name is going to get mentioned a lot. Uh, Tim English's name is going to get mentioned a lot. So it you know you you look back. You, you watch games now and you see, oh, here's this flashback from 30 years ago when, you know, X coach was coaching against X coach or they were on the same staff together uh, 30 years ago at this school. Like, I think in 2050, they're going to be doing throwbacks of when Tim English and Drew Valentine were coaching against each other in the Atlantic 10. Like, I think that's <laughs> the level of the coaches that these guys are going to be. That's that's some, like, high praise. I mean, you know, we, we obviously really like Drew Valentine here. We think he's he's just an awesome dude. Um, it's got to be a little bit of pressure on him, though. I, I'm sure he's he's cool, calm, and collected, and now he's got a year under his belt. But um, it was cool to see them kind of uh, chatted up a little bit at A10 Media Day, King English and Drew Valentine. Um, I'm excited for that matchup, and I think it's it's fun to kind of have a little bit of uh, I don't know if shared history is the right word, but you know, mid major to Final Four run. Um, that's always fun to see. Uh, we do have a national championship on them, though, so I think. I think we might just slightly tip the scales on that. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Um, Lou, any kind of last thoughts on like matchups? You you have any more questions as far as like other A10 opponents go this year? Yeah, we we have a history at Richmond, but again, I think we're lucky that the kind of the most recent, I guess, one of the best defensive guards in the country doesn't play for Richmond anymore, so we don't have to worry about that. But uh, I just laugh. Neil Quinn is just is going to make me laugh. I think just being seven foot tall and. Having, I think he has one year. I forget how COVID's going to shake out with him, but uh, yeah, I know. I don't know with that kind of history, and then Richmond making the NCAA tournament. I think that's going to be a fun one. I don't know if you have insight there, but yeah, Neil uh, having a big guy. I always think when 
we have a new center just always gets me on my heels of a little worrisome. But Neil can pass. Neil can really pass. And Richmond, I mean, Richmond's whole offense is built around bigs who can pass in the Princeton. Um, and Neil will fit that well. It's so funny because obviously Lil recruited Neil Quinn quite quite heavily. Mm-hmm. Um, wound up with Bryce Golden instead. Uh, one of the things that is tricky about the portal is guys make decisions quick, and sometimes spots get taken away. Um, and obviously, you know, I, I think it worked out really well for for both parties. I think Neil fits Richmond extremely well. I think Bryce fits Loyola really well. Um, but it is going to be a very interesting matchup to see those two guys go head to head because. Uh, again, this is very inside baseball, but look, I mean, they, they were recruited to be, to take the same spot at Liberty. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, I mean, they were recruited to take the same spot at Richmond. I mean, Grant Golden played at Richmond, Bryce's brother. Uh, Richmond was interested in, in, in Bryce. So I think the way it shakes out there is, it's certainly going to be a, uh, that, that'll be a fun matchup to watch if something else. Yeah, that should be a good one for sure. Well, uh, I wonder if both those guys have that, uh, have that game circle. <laughs> So, um, but yeah, just kind of, kind of shifting gears a little bit here, kind of more Loyola focus from here on out. Um, but, uh, yeah, I guess kind of going to recruiting. Um, we talked a little off air about some stuff, uh, regarding the Rubin twins, but, uh, concerning the one that is, is still committed to Loyola, Miles Rubin, um, how does he compare to some of the, like, is he an A10 worthy player? Um, I, I know that the, the recruiting, um, tactics and the recruiting classes are are different from the Valley to the A10, and you see um, some of those schools consistently like getting three stars. If there is a, a two star, it seems like it is um, rare uh, in the A10, whereas in the Valley, it seemed a little more uh, split half and half. So, um, yeah, what what is Loyola's like? How does Loyola's recruiting strategy change if it does at all? And um, how is the recruiting classes of the future looking for them? Well, I certainly think that Miles fits in the A10 and more. I mean, I, I, I so I was at two Nike events this spring and summer. I went to an Under Armour event. I went to a um, New York to LA event, which is the highest level independent circuit, uh, which is where like Ty Pence and Brock Harding played. Um, so I've seen a good number of the players. Pretty much only Adidas is where I haven't seen guys. Miles Rubin is the best center prospect who's going to a non-Power 5 school that I saw. Mm-hmm. He's really good. Uh, he's a monster defensively. Um, I think, obviously, he. I think he's still kind of figuring out what he can do with the ball. I think he can he – ha- there's an edge to him that needs to come out every play that doesn't necessarily come out every time. But he is so skilled, so gifted – and, you know, there's two guys – I talked to one coach who kind of compared him to St. Bonaventure's star big from the last couple of years, Oshuno Shuni. He's a great rim protector. Mm-hmm. I think he actually reminds me more of Nathan Mensa, who's San Diego State starting center and has been defensive player at the end of Mountain West because he's a little bit smaller. But I think he has that upside to be like a defensive player of the year level player. And whatever he brings offensively, I think is almost uh, – you know, it doesn't matter after that. If you get defensive player of the year production, I think he can be that guy. So I think that's that, that's a big win for Loyola. Um, obviously, you know, a few weeks till signing day, and in this day and age, you never catch your tickets before they hatch. But uh, that's certainly a big win, uh, assuming that he gets to signing day. Uh, as far as kind of future classes and strategy and whatnot, I think uh, they're consistently involved with the best mid-plus kids. And mid-plus is essentially guys who are going to be recruited some by high majors, 
um, but are going to be heavily recruited by the top mid-majors. And I, I, I see that in terms of the guys that they're, they are seeing. I mean, I'm, like you said, when I'm at, when I'm at these events and I'm watching kids that are the highest recruited mid-major players, I often see Drew or Sean Dwyer or Maura Morgan or Pat Wallace on the baseline. That's just kind of the way it has worked out. Um, and I think that one of the things that they've been, be- that's been beneficial for them because they got Miles and Wes, obviously before Wes decommitted, be- because they got them early, it gave them an opportunity to really get a leg up in 2024 and start recruiting heavily some of those kids. And the longer they're recruiting those kids hard, the longer they're building those relationships, the better chance they have of holding off the bigger programs once they get involved. Mm-hmm. Right. So I know they've offered like Cole Serta, who played for the Illinois Wolves in 2024. Right. Like when you're recruiting a kid like that, who's probably at some point going to get interest from a Northwestern or a, you know, obviously like Miles My- Rubin was recruited by DePaul. Right. So we'll, we'll just use like the locals as examples. Right. Like mm-hmm. when, when, when a big school calls next spring, there's less reason for that kid to just say, okay, fine, I'll go to the big school because they have this relationship built up. So when you're seeing kids like that taking early visits, when you're seeing kids like that, um, you know, be recruited early on, I think that's something that's a benefit. And I think they, they did a good job of, you know, being focused on that this summer, knowing that they didn't want to sign any more freshmen. Um, they'll obviously be active in the portal this spring, depending on what they need, obviously, what happens if you don't know who will be there and who will not be. But I think on paper, they should have pretty good continuity and not need a huge transfer class. I think they're well equipped to recruit the portal. But I think that, you know, certainly Miles is a is a really good foundational piece for the transition to the A-10. And I think that some of the guys I've, I know they're recruiting in 2024 early on. It's too early to say whether they'll get them, right? Those guys don't have cut lists, they don't have whatever. But those are the types of kids that I would be recruiting if I were them. So, yeah. No, yeah, I think uh, one of the biggest things for us, right, is when you look at, uh, again, I'm going to knock on wood because, like you said, we're not going to count everything until signing day. But Miles is just probably, again, according to 247, one of the best recruits in Loyal's history um, since, I guess, ratings have come out. Now, again, like you could say, uh, Kim Crutwig probably didn't get a fair uh, rating and also uh, things evolve when you play a few years in college basketball. But, um when looking at kind of uh, just the landscape of things, Drew's really big going back home to Michigan. He knows the roots there. Um, does the A-10 give kind of the gravitas to Loyola or just any other program that steps in the A-10 to recruit maybe a wider net? Um, or is it still like, oh, kind of Chicagoland and the surrounding states, maybe a few transfers from other far states? Is there is there kind of that benefit now with the A-10 you see? Can't hurt, right? Like, I I don't think there's a kid who's from the Midwest who's going to say no to Loyola because they're no longer playing in the Valley. But it is possible that they'll be able to recruit, you know, the Carolinas a little better or the Northeast a little better. Now that they're going to play there more often, right? And their mm-hmm. brand gets out in those vicinities more. So I think those things, maybe there's a marginal help. But I think at the end of the day, like, one of the things that's so unique to Loyola is because of the success they've had, and not just the success, but the way they've had the success in March with the, you know, with Sister Jean, with, you know, the, 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 the iconic colors and everything that comes with that, right? Like the name, rec- the name recognition of Loyola Chicago is a, a really high point. And recruits know what Loyola is. They generally know, you know, they, they know what Chicago is. They know the pro, they know the value. Obviously you have to recruit them, you have to sell them, but, 
I think Loyola was not in a position where they needed to move up conferences for name recognition and recruiting. Like, I think kids know what Loyola is. They want to be a part of it. Uh, it's more so a matter of does do you get over the finish line because you're no longer, you know, a flight away from every 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 game, right, if you're a kid from Massachusetts, right? So I don't think it's a massive thing. I think maybe it helps, again, with some of those kids who are right on the border between high major and mid-major. Some of those kids might say, look, it's the A-10. It's a really good league. We're going to have a better chance of making the NCAA tournament. Those things can all get help on the margins. But I don't think it, like, transformationally shifts who you recruit a little. I think it's the same type of kid, uh, and you just hope you win maybe a few more battles than you already were. No, uh, yeah, no. I think that's uh, something that, again, being the MVC, you kind of maybe just stick with the Midwest and you stick. So it is it is kind of just a new door. Um, I think, honestly, love Arch Madness. I think it's brought great, again, it's brought great fortune to Loyola. Uh, but maybe playing in Barclays Center, as we saw Media Day, might bring a little bit of difference, right? You you go, that's that's where you're going to play. Um, now, again, the A-10 a few years ago, before Barclays Center, was playing in Atlantic City. So, again, things can change for sure. Uh, th- things can always get better. And But I, I do appreciate that insight because we've been in the Valley and everyone thought we fit so well. And then we make this jump and... I think even Buck can say I've been calling for this jump just again. <laughs> school, uh, the size, we're very similar to Fordham in that way. So it's like I think this is a very good fit. So not only to see it as a school institution fit, but also then what it can do for the program in the future. That's that's it's really helpful. So I appreciate it. Yeah, I hate to uh, I hate to admit when Lou is right, um, just kind of on principle. But the, the long the short of the long story is like uh, probably about this time last year. He's like, oh, I think Loyola's going to move the A-10. And I was like, man, you're crazy. Like, there's no way. They want sustained success, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I mean, you all know the rest. But uh, he did. I, I, There was a, another witness that was there. He uh, he did predict the Loyola to the A-10. I think he might have been a, a year, like, later, though, I think, if I remember correctly. Uh, um, but then, uh, yeah, kind of just looking uh, at the A-10 as far as their recruiting goes, Um is there anyone like that are playing with the big boys? Like is, is Dayton like a national brand is slew a national brand? Like, are there, are there teams that are recruiting? You know, you, you kind of mentioned the the mid major plus, are there, are there other teams in the A 10 that are getting in the door with those like power five conference kids? I think a lot of teams do to a certain degree. Um, I think it's very rare. I think the closest thing you would find to a team <clears throat> truly consistently being involved with those kids, like most of the kids that are recruiting are like that, would be Dayton. They're not quite there, but they, a Dayton offer is, I think, close to a high major offer in terms mm-hmm. of the level the level there. And part of that's just the history of the program. It's such a, a tremendous year-over-year place. But I think you look around the league and you see a lot of places where they're able to get into a battle, um, whether it's because they got an earlier, they built a good relationship where they can offer instant playing time, or it's local or whatever, and they can win it, right? So UMass won with Tafara Gapare, who's coming in this year, 2022 kid, who was one time committed to DePaul, was a top 75 or top 100 recruit in 2023 and reclassified up, so I don't know where the number wound up. But, you know, that type of kid. Um, George Mason has Justin Fernandez, who was recruited by a top 100 kid. He was recruited by Florida and um, Providence and a bunch of other high majors in that ilk. Um and they, again, they battled early. They hung in late. They made, they, they recruited him like he was their, you know, it was their Super Bowl. Um, I was actually around them when they were putting together the official visit and the attention to detail they did to get it together was unbelievable. 
Um, they will, you know, Justin will be a really good piece for them. Um, and, and again, the, the St. Louis has had a lot of success with local kids in particular, keeping kids in the state of Missouri, uh, or getting them to come back home. I think, so that's something that you see a lot. VCU certainly can get involved with a high major kid or two a year. So I don't think anyone's recruiting where every kid they're going to take is a high major kid, but I think probably half the league can try to get to a point where maybe one per class is a, is a real swing and a guy, and, and you're not going to win all those swings, but, You've got one shot of class to try to get a, a really big name, a guy who you know, was recruited by all the high majors, and I think the league generally has had good success doing. Yeah, that's. I think it's one of those things that just now Lola is also in a new battle with some teams, and it's a it's a new kind of hat to put on for Drew. Again, Drew right away, and he's mentioned multiple times, he's the leader of recruiting as much as any other coach. But this year, especially in media day, he mentioned that he's kind of putting, uh, letting his, again, his assistants take the responsibility that his assistants do. So it is quite, I think, even now uh, less of a pressure that Loyola has the national stage. They they are present. Uh, people know the name, but now having kind of also the A-10 maybe might back that up. So it is quite a different, like, level, I feel. But um, kind of just switching it, um, just another thing that Loyola competes at, right, and does it make it easy, does it make it harder for us, we've always wondered now with the switch to the A-10, does scheduling become easier or harder, um, especially non-com, right? Conference schedule, um, it, it, it's new for us, the A-10. We're not playing every team twice. Again, that's just because of so many teams. Um, but we are playing, of course, slew and Dayton at home, so I think that's a, a big plus, uh, especially just for our first year. But do you see for Loyola, it, does it get harder to schedule non-con? Um, because teams don't want to potentially lose, but then does the A-10 help us by having a good quality loss? Um, again, the quadrants always don't really help it if you, in the beginning of the season, but does scheduling get harder or easier kind of near quick summer, I guess? I don't think anyone is not playing Loyola because they were in the Valley, but playing them because they're in the A-10. I don't think that really changes a ton. I think, again, it's an opportunity to continue to bolster who you are as a program, right? And I think that's something that can help you long-term with scheduling, right? Like, so for instance, the fact that Loyola got in a neutral game with a high major like Clemson, that's in Atlanta. That's that's a win, right? Those are the types of games that you get when you're a well-regarded program. Like Dayton's playing at United Center this year against Wyoming. That's a good example. Again, I, I don't know if it'll be at United Center, but you're, can you can you continue to bolster who you are as a program, and that gets you into better MTEs, better one single day event, better. Uh, potentially home and home. Obviously, that's what you want as a program. You want to bring great, you know, big big name programs into your building. Um, we'll see if that's something that that is workable and feasible. I know they're going to work to do it, but uh, I don't I don't think that all of a sudden the door is wide open to get a bunch of home and homes because otherwise uh, the Dayton fans and the VCU fans I see on Twitter every day wouldn't be complaining so much about scheduling. <laughs> that's yeah. fair enough. It is fair. And again, it, these are things that, yeah, you're, you're right, right? After the final four, no one maybe would want to touch a Loyola team just because what might happen, right? So that jump doesn't really, again, a bad, a bad record team being in the A10 doesn't help regardless, right? Um, but I guess, uh, the biggest thing then when it comes to scheduling, um, the neutral sites, right? Like that's a huge benefit. Um, are there ones that like you'd like to say, again, we'd love to get up to, uh, St. Bonnie's for conference, but is there anything that you can see now should, like Loyola's going to Harvard, right? Um, is that something that's the East Coast and the A-10, is there any stuff like A-10 and, I don't know, Big East, do they ever do any type of like something like that? I think we've done it with uh, the Western Athletic Conference before. 
So is there any opening now door with A10? Do they do traditionally a schedule? There's no there's no challenge that I'm aware of. There was there was work towards one with the Mountain West, as I recall, um, but it never really it came to fruition. Um, I know there were I think there was Mountain West stuff with the the Valley at one point. So uh, yeah, I don't know. If there's a challenge, like you said, maybe you go to the East Coast a little bit more. I do think that maybe going to Harvard is a built-in kind of recruiting tool. Again, if you're trying to get involved with certain Massachusetts kids, that can be something that's valuable. So um, you kind of play the game and get your home and home. So that's something you, to watch. I mean, but, I, yeah, again, I, I don't think the scheduling is too different. Obviously, again, you're just trying to get in cool events, right? Like getting in battle for Atlantis, that's a huge honor. That's a big deal. You're not going to necessarily get in one like that or Maui all the time. Uh, but, you know, Dayton, for instance, has been in Maui uh, a couple of times now. Uh, hmm and is in Battle for Atlantis this year. So the opportunities are obviously there in the A-10 to get into A-list level tournaments. And you know, that opportunity was already starting to be there for Loyola just because of the brand recognition and the, the opportunity that the, the wins they've had on the biggest stage. But I think, again, it only can continue when you show that you're a strong, strong, consistent program. And I think, obviously, coach continuity would help, right? Obviously, having Drew there for a long haul and Porter being there and staying through the final four and sticking it out as long as he did, I think help them with scheduling to get into things like battle for Atlanta, things like that. Um, I don't have the you know, full details on stuff like that, but I, I, one of those things that cannot have been a, a negative in that process. So. No. Yeah, absolutely. I think the only negative was the amount of talk of Drew replacing Izzo at Michigan state during that game. <laughs> if I, if we could, uh, yes, if we could stop that. playing Michigan state, that would be great just because I was prepping for Thanksgiving <laughs> And then all I kept hearing was he's going to come and be the assistant and sit under Izzo for a few years. And I was just – I'm saying we, we could just give Drew a few years at Loyola before we start talking like that. But like you said, scheduling, stuff like that, having coaches go out there and make it work for the team is helpful. So I know Drew's already on that. So that, I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just kind of um, kind of wrapping things up here, um, just kind of an all-encompassing question. We've talked a lot about um, just kind of every facet of the basketball program from you know recruiting to scheduling to the product on the court, the conference, all that kind of stuff. Um, we've seen in the past uh, five years, six years, this sort of ascent that Loyola's been on. And at times it feels like way rapid, right? It feels quick and it feels um, sort of uh, like uneasy at times because you don't know where to look. You don't know where to turn, what's next. And so for a lot of um, Loyola fans, um, and myself included, who wasn't even all that big of a college basketball fan until I came to Loyola. Like, is is Loyola doing the right things? Like, what are they? What do they need to do to continue um, this level of success? And um, how do they? Uh, yeah, how do they find continued success in college basketball? I, I think the thing that's the thing that's interesting is you hear all the time. All you hear whenever a team makes a run is. Oh, could that team be the next Gonzaga? Could that could they be the next? You know this. Like pulling off what Gonzaga has pulled off is like one of the most like unheard of things that you could have ever possibly imagined in college sports and college basketball. Like it's to expect it to happen again is like is truly like asking lightning to strike you twice. I mean, it's just not going to happen. You're not you're like well, like I am not going to predict that in ten years Loyal will be a top ten perennial team. That's just not reasonable. It's not right. But I do think Loyola has a lot of advantages that, like, a St. Peter's, for instance, doesn't have. Right? Like, when I read articles from people, and I forget who it was, but someone wrote an article being like, "Could St. Peter's be the next Gonzaga?" And I think I think their AD actually said that to me. Like, well, you know, Gonzaga just started with one run and started filling it, 
And like, I, I was like, are you kidding me? Like, 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 St. Peter's is a tiny school with a small endowment that has very little institutional support for basketball uh, outside of one donor. Um, they're low budget for their own league, let alone for mid-major basketball and for college basketball as a whole, right? Like, to get to the point where um, you're competing at a higher level, it takes so much more than, oh, we hired a good coach. Or, oh, we, um, you know, made won some games in March, right? It takes institution-wide and outside institution-wide alignment and investment. And I think for the most part, Loyola has a lot more of the makings to do to, to stick around. And again, whether it be Zaga, no, but could they get to a level, you know, could they get to become like a VC or a Dayton that's seen as a perennial power? I think they're on their way. Will it happen? Will it stick? You don't know. But there are a lot of runs that have been somewhat spoiled, right? I mean, George Mason, for instance, I mean, obviously they moved to the A10, um, but George Mason has not, for the most part, capitalized off its one huge run. Uh, and I think Loyola, because obviously they made another 16, because they now made another NCAA tournament, they're in a better position to do that. And look, is there a day potentially one day down the line where you have to replace the coach again? Yeah, that's that's possible. It's an it's inevitable. Again, as I said, like people are going to be calling for 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 Drew Valentine, and whether you know he says yes or no to that is uh, an open question. We don't know what how that will play out, but. Uh, it's not about Drew. It's not about Porter. It's not about a single AD or a single president. It's about an institutional commitment to this being a big deal. And moving to the A10 is a good indicator of that, right? Going on a 10-day trip to Paris as your international trip instead of going to five days in Toronto, uh, that mm-hmm. is an indicator of that. All of these things are good indicators that things are being packed facilities. Things. And so you hope that you start becoming a program that runs tough, that it's assistant coaches are going on to become head coaches, that those assistant coaches want to come back and they want to be a part of Loyola. Um, they want to be the head coach when a coach leaves. They want, they want to continue to build. They want to continue the continuity. You think about the, the, the coaching tree at a place like VC, a place like um, Butler, a place like Xavier. Uh, again, I, it's not necessarily fair to loop those, you know, heap those expectations, but um those places have become self-sustaining. They run themselves. They have support and uh, and all of these things that go beyond, okay, we lost our coach, right? Uh, and I think that's where Loyola wants to be. How you get there, you just continue to win. You continue to build a brand and you continue to, you know, like, like Loyola's positioned itself in the right way right now. Um, they have all the things they really need to be competitive. They have the brand recognition. So it starts with keeping winning, and then you got to make good strategic choices around those, especially obviously when coaching changes happen and things like that. Um, and you have to invest beyond the things you see on the court. You need to invest in staff. You need to make sure that when assistant coaches get high major offers, that you match the money and you hope that they want to stay with you. You you, you need to you need to retain elite talent in your program, whether that's through players, coaches, trainers, etc. And I think again. I think Loyola is on the path to doing all these things. I think they are doing those things. You've seen the commitment, but that is the way that you ascend in this thing. That is the way that you build off of a Final Four and a Sweet 16. Uh, not, oh, let's pray that the coach stays forever because he's a really, really good coach. Because Drew, as good a coach he is, he's not going to win 25 games a year for the remainder of his, of his career, no matter what happens. It's all the, the place around you is so important in this whole affair. 
yeah, that's that's exciting to hear. I mean, honestly, it, it's I it, those are some really interesting points I've never heard put that way. And I honestly, as a loyal fan, it just makes me excited. Um, there's some great programs that you mentioned, um, even even the ones that are mid majors, right? Those are some some great programs to live up to. Um, so, Lou, I think you might have had one more thought. Um, yeah, I guess. Yeah, no, just onto the point of. Uh, I think what's built around you, right? Um, I also, I, I kind of laugh when we think about Loyola's future, especially in the A10. We have an AD that has a, quite a history with the A10, uh, knows it kind of inside and out. Um, so I think that was a great fit. But Loyola as kind of a program, is there something or maybe even an institution, like we built a new practice facility, right? So we kind of have that. Is is there something um, that you see, again, I, I don't think if we're going to get an arena, like wind trust maybe down in Chicago, but is there something that maybe might make a big splash? We're, we're already in the city of Chicago, so I think that's as one of the big ones as you can get. But is there something you see programs like? Uh, yes, I, I might have said, can we be Gonzaga? Can we be Nova? Right? I'm not going to deny that. Um, of course, I mean, if, you, if, if, if you're a fan and you haven't asked that question, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, and then I'll, I'll give a little insight. Did I happen to work for the past coaching staff? Yes. So, like, was there like a potential of do I get a better job and all these benefits? Of course, but um, it's one of those things now on the outside, though. I, I wouldn't mind maybe going to a, a again uh, when we got a new scoreboard a few years ago. That was a big excitement, right? We, we, that is a huge thing for guys who would go to games or people who would work at games and there'd be eight students. And this is before the final four. So is there something you, you might see like, that'd be cool if Loyola did, besides, of course, winning another national title. But is there something, again, this is just kind of for fun. There's no facts behind yeah, this. Yeah. I, I don't think there's one thing. I, I actually think, obviously, you know, it's, it, it, it'd be the, the more fans you could pack in your building. I think right now it's great because you sell it out and you, it, it gets really loud and rowdy there. Obviously, if that continues to build, you, can you get into a spot where you can make it bigger? That's something you'd obviously want to talk about. I don't, I don't think you ever want to get to a point where you're not on campus because I felt mm-hmm. that as a Northwestern student, we played off campus for a year at, uh, Allstate Arena in Rosemont and that was horrible. And it's just so hard to draw up support when it's not right in your backyard. So I don't know that's, oh yeah, I gotta build a stadium, gotta, gotta build a big arena, whatever. I do think, you know, it, it's less about the stuff you see and it's more about the consistent, the consistent types of game changing investments inside the program, right? So for instance, like Loyola has no control over NIL, so I'm going to ignore that, right? Obviously it'd be great if there was a point where Loyola was just dropping bags and getting kids, right? That would, that would obviously <laughs> help you, uh, win games. But I think like, so I, so I, so I think from inside the program, it's like, how can you do things that make you stand up to a high major in terms of the day-to-day life, right? Whether that's supplying your head coach with more support staffers, so funding more positions. So Kyle Washington or like CJ Rivers, your report. Can you get another guy like that into your program? Mm-hmm. I mean, you should see the picture, the team pictures of the benches for some high major teams. There are more staffers than players, right? You're <laughs> not going to get there necessarily, but every little ink, incremental growth you can do to have more staff that can be hands-on with players that can help help you there. That's huge. Private jet usage and recruiting. That's a huge thing that high major coaches get that traditionally Atlantic 10 coaches don't get as much of or don't get any of. I, uh, I don't know the, the details exactly what Drew gets and what Drew doesn't get, but th- those are the things, right? And at the end of the day, it may not be the thing that – it may not keep your coach, right? Loyola did everything it possibly could to keep Porter – 
and Porter wanted the different challenge, right? And inevitably, you could get to that point with Drew. But I think with any coach um, at any any point in the program, those are things that will always help, right? It will never hurt you to have more highly qualified, well-compensated staff members. So continuing to make those types of investments, I think those are the things that certainly help you keep your high-level coaches that you think very highly of. But certainly, if nothing else, they'll they'll help keep the drop-off from being quite as big. That's awesome. Yeah, that's that's not something that we actually even talk about too much between the two of us. I don't think about the staffers all too often. I mean, I, I could tell like CJ was a great guy, and I'm excited to have Washington in, on the team this year. But like, um, yeah, I think that's great. I don't know, Lou. Sorry, I cut you off there. So please, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, again, uh, yeah, we were um, again. I can speak just offhandedly. When I worked for the team, what is it now? Seven years ago, we barely had like a grad assistant right Right. so to see the evolution and then now we're watching guys like a pat wallace go from assistant uh for grad kind of assistant to coach um that's just like what you kind of have and again it's also helpful drew experience that himself right as player to grad assistant to then assistant coach to head coach so uh staff really is something that i do think uh we as again podcasters fans kind of forget about because we just see the talent all on the court most of the time but there is a, a need for talent in, in the back end I, I i know firsthand how many t- crucial times it was to have brian mullins just play defense on gold squad um <laughs> against clayton custer because i pat, saw it live how Wallace you, can really shoot by the way how okay okay that's the, I, i've been i have been wondering i don't know this staff uh, at all too well, but I was like, I was trying to envision who's playing defense or who's playing offense. Well, so. I don't know if Pat's playing any defense, but Pat's putting up shots. So there you go. Good. Again, there's always half court. You can always just <laughs> pick up a gold jersey and play half court. But yeah, I really, that's a really good insight, I think, just onto the program as well. That is a great way to kind of sum up just where Loyola has gone from, right? It's like, we have staff, we have people. Um, and again, <laughs> And I'll say this just quickly, and I, I don't mean to do this as though, like, I know these people, like, as, as people, so I'm going to say how great they are. <laughs> I truly believe Loyola has three great assistants on its staff. I think the three, you know, Morrow, I, 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 I can't speak as much to London and to um, Kyle Washington other than I know them and they're great guys. Like, I think, like, Sean Dwyer and Amara Morgan were a top connect. That's a really exclusive program for young high-level assistant coaches to potentially become head coaches. Amora Morgan was invited to the Billis camp. Amora Morgan should be in head coaching conversations next year. Uh, Pat Wallace is a great young offensive mind. Uh, Drew will credit him all the time for, for what they do offensively. Like Sean Dwyer, like I said, I mean, he's you know, at Top Connect. He's really, really sharp. He will be in the next for head coaching job sooner rather than later. Loyola is very fortunate to have a very, very strong staff, uh, and those are the things that go beyond having a great head coach. Having success, they are not. I, there are there are coaching staffs that I watch at high major schools that are not as good as what Loyola has, and that's a huge credit to Drew in the hiring process because those guys. I don't think. I mean, certainly they have experience, but those guys at the time when they were hired were not coveted as holy crap. These are high major guys. These are guys who are super high resource. These guys, you know, those these were hires that he went out and found elite coaches to be on the staff, and those guys will be head coaches sooner rather than later. Uh, and I think that's a that's a huge credit to, to the job Drew's done, but also credit to those guys. And they're a huge reason why Loyola was successful, as successful as they were uh, a season ago in year one. No, I, I don't think that, again, I think you have more insight on this coaching staff. Um, I can say London was my boss at one point or not, so I do know him a bit. 
Um, but yeah, I think that's something even us fans we we see how cool they dress. We see um, just the energy they have on the on the bench, right? Um, but I think one of the great things was like uh, we even I think DM CJ over the summer, and we saw his drip at one of the um, I think NY it might have been NY LA. I forget who was recruiting at the time. Could have been Miles for all I know. But like just seeing that, right? You see guys like CJ or Kyle now in that position, just being able to go recruit guys. Um, I think just having that staff that helps true for sure. And I think that benefits us as fans because now we get to then see recruits that maybe we weren't able to if you only had a staff of four guys. CJ's got some swagger, I'll tell you that. They, he mm-hmm. did, I, his drip was quite, his, was up there. And again, having, again, I don't know why the coaching staff doesn't have a Nike fund, but we'll, maybe we'll talk, or budget, we'll talk about that on another episode. But yeah, I, I really do like this point as kind of as a sum because it's an insight or even a topic that we don't maybe talk about too much. We talk about when a defense might have looked blown and who to blame, right? But no one talks about the off-season kind of task that are just really – like it's not just a 40-hour week of Monday through Friday. Sometimes these guys are flying on weekends because that's when basketball tournaments are on weekends, right? So especially Drew being a young dad, that's not, that's not easy, I'd say. So I appreciate that. And regardless of relationship, I think it is good just to get a kind of a, an understanding, a little bio other than what Loyola puts up under these coaches. So I appreciate that a lot. Yeah, no problem. My, uh, my last thought, I'll leave you with this. Um, I do need to get an Evan Maya, Maikawa rating on Pat Wallace on Gold Squad. I need to know what his player rating is, both offensively and defensively. It's very important. All I will, all I will say is that the practice I was at in August before the international trip, he hit two step back threes in a row and his, uh, ego has never been larger than that day. <laughs> See, and, uh, like, that's the stuff I wish I could just, again, just be, pay a ticket for because watching <laughs> Brian Mullins just lock down Clayton Custer has to be some of the greatest film I've ever seen. Um, and then just watching his college highlight tape also is a great thing of Brian Mullins. So stuff like that is insight that I, oh, I would, people would pay tickets. Now again, I don't think they want us at every open practice. So that, that's also another take, but no, that's, that's hilarious. That, that is, oh. Maybe he should just suit up. Just, just suit up. <laughs> Never know. No, I don't, I don't, I don't think you want that, but <laughs> I, I, I hope, I hope Pat is listening to this. <laughs> I hope he is too. Uh, well, Kevin, thank you so much for being, uh, on this episode of the podcast with us. Uh, tell the listeners, uh, if, where they can find you and, uh, if they, uh, want to read some of your work, where can they find that? Yeah, it's, uh, I work for Sports Illustrated, uh, our written content obviously up at SI now. Uh, on Twitter at uh, si.com is the website. Uh, we got a lot of preview stuff. We'll have our one to three. We did our A10 preview last week, so you can find that uh, if you're interested. Uh, and then we'll have a one to 363 national rankings come out the first week of November, which is a really cool project that uh, I'm excited to put together for the second consecutive year. Uh, also do stuff with the Field 68. You'll catch me on the uh, After Dark show uh, at 11, 11 Eastern throughout the season, which is a Really, really fun thing. We've got great, great people involved at every level of, of kind of the world, whether they're players, media people, uh, and whatever. I, I hope that everyone checks that out. I know we had Drew on at least once, because I, I was interviewing him once. I think he was on another time. Uh, yeah, yeah we, had him, we had him twi- yeah. We had him three times, actually, because I had him right when they got COVID, right after they beat San Francisco, uh, and then in New Orleans, and maybe a fourth, because they might have done it, like, after they won the Valley Tournament. So, uh, Drew is a regular guest, so you can check that out if you're a Lola fan. 
Uh, and I'll be around. I mean, I'll be I'll be at some games, so feel free to say hello if anyone's a a fan. I do uh do appreciate it. Uh, so I'll be at a few certainly a few games. I'm gonna be at the DePaul game for sure. Probably a couple buy games just because again it's my backyard and I feel like I should be working any night. I'll just go up there and hang out because I enjoy. I think it's a it's, like I said I. I think very highly of Loyola as a place. I think very highly of the program. And uh, uh, if I can go out and see college basketball on any given night, I will enjoy it because we only get it for about four months a year. Yeah. Are you usually on the court down below? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, you better have some drip yourself since you're on screen this year because (laughs) they flipped the – Yeah. they Oh, they flipped it? Yeah. So you guys are going to be now – because the student section is now going to be on camera. So it's not going to be us as fans. They flipped this, the student section. So media now will be on and the team. I better bring it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I'm expecting. Yeah. It's your heads up. It's your warning right here. I appreciate the tip. Thank you guys. Yeah. Yeah. He's shocked. He's going to be, he's going to be asking you for some tips. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> see about that. Uh, <laughs> no, well, I appreciate it here, Kevin. Thanks so much for your time as always. Thank you guys. Yeah. We'll talk soon. Have a good one, Kevin. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think there's a lot more we can see from Lucas, which I 100%. There's a lot more we can see from Lucas. Which I 100% wholly, wholly disagree with. funny just like so we're talking offline a little bit just like about what we were talking about just before this and we're like man why don't we just hit record like (laughs) there's no reason like like hiding it behind doors and like we'd rather you all just listen to it too um and we both disagreed like kevin is awesome man like we we love talking with him i actually um did have the uh pleasure i guess of meeting him at the uh the under armor event that i i went to this past summer and yeah, just cool dude. Like I saw him chatting with Amara Morgan that day. Uh, I was feeling a little, uh, a little jealous. nervous. Oh. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> jealous and nervous. Yeah. Um, so I, I said hey to him and stuff. But yeah, he's a busy dude. Like, like it's obvious. Uh, he's he's doing some great stuff. So, no, nah, it was it was nothing but but fun chatting with him. Um, anything like pop out to you or I don't know what, how are you feeling about it all? Yeah, I think. Um... I don't know. I don't know if you or I need a reality check, but it's kind of also a reality check for our listeners. I'm not saying um, we the the listeners or even us as fans don't know Loyola on the team, but Kevin really just kind of stuck his ground with the A10 talk of like three teams probably, right? And of course, we sit at that that right on the cusp of four. So again, things can always change. He was big with emphasizing that. Um, really, just inside, I've always thought scheduling was hard, and he kind of talked about how like scheduling is scheduling right so just topics that you kind of uh, as fans or just us as even guys talking about this it's like we build such kind of this like uh, a lot of this in-depth knowledge or just kind of care about certain topics and having someone's perspective on it, i think is really really interesting especially someone kind of close to the team so i really liked it for sure yeah i appreciate him like being real with us too like on like that question about scheduling, I mean, we've been talking about it for months about like, oh, it must be better, it must be easier, it must be, you know, more opportunities, blah blah blah. And he goes, no, it, it's probably not, you know, yeah, like exactly, yeah. I, that honestly did surprise me, but um, if anyone's gonna know it, it's gonna be him. It's not gonna be us. So, um, 
Yeah, that, that was cool. I appreciated that, like, honesty. The other thing that kind of, like, um, I think jumped out to me a little bit was our, our question about, like, uh, what Loyola can do to, like, maintain success and, like, how that all works. And his um, answer about, like, improving stuff within the program uh, and some of the stuff you don't necessarily see, like uh, adding staffers and stuff, like, quite honestly, that was – I had never even considered that. Um, and until he said, like, oh, yeah, you see those – benches of the power five conference teams and he's right i mean they have like five six seven assistants you know or like more i guess in some cases like you said but um yeah i just i thought that was a great answer um it's exciting to hear about like the different recruiting stuff um i love hearing that like you know the about miles um and their strategy about you know getting at the time two commits but now one um, and focusing a little bit more on the 2024 kids, like that was exciting. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. Any thoughts about that or just any other things that like were cool to you, exciting to you? Um, I think, um, recruiting is always a big thing, especially with, again, you gotta be optimistic. You never know, but with Miles, the kind of stature he is as not only a kind of a power forward center, but also just the level of recruit again, two four seven has him pretty to top one fifty at least, right? And again, maybe going. I don't know how far back they go in years, but probably one of the biggest commits in Loyola basketball history in recent years, right? Um, but uh, yeah, just having that insight again to kind of the players of the A ten, I think, is also big, right? Because we 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 know so much and dive into MVC players, and we we know them. We played them for a few years, right? And then. A10 is like fresh new faces, completely new kind of schemas, teams, and coaches, right? Uh, and new coaching styles. So that's that's always one to be like, what is recruiting going to do to impact that? And he kind of laid it out, right? That recruiting is is a tough thing uh, to tackle, but also something that can be really so surprising down the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I don't know, man. He's just he's a cool dude. Uh, yeah. He he knows his stuff too. Yeah, I guess for 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 your side when when you think about what he said pretty much about um I guess not only just the staff, right, but the benefits of a program, right? Do you feel that there is like did you think after we built the practice facility, oh, there's more we should do? Like I I've always thought about what about a stadium, mm-hmm. right? But then he kind of laid it out, is there something you've always kind of had on your mind like, "Oh, it would be cool if we did this." I think, like, just upgrades to, like, travel is, like, a big one for me, and, like, especially, like, considering that, you know, they are still students at the end of the day, right, and they need to get back and need to go to class and study and all that kind of stuff, too. Um, I just remember, uh, I think even Porter used to talk about it, was, like, how those big programs travel and how, you know, there's not, there's no buses unless it's around the corner, right? Like, they're they're flying on planes everywhere. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that's sort of like he, he, he touched on a little bit too with some of those events that we've been to and that we're going to continue to get into and battle for Atlantis that we had and this neutral game with Clemson, all those sort of things. Um, those things add up. And, uh, yeah, I, I've, I've started to feel like in the past couple of years, past three, or four years, I guess, that they've, uh, upgraded those sort of, um, I don't know, like extras, the miscellaneous things, um, and and they just add up to be big, uh, big changes over time. So, um, yeah, I, I thought he did a great job of like just being honest with us, laying it out, 
and um, making some good comparisons to other other than the whole like, oh, we want to be the next Gonzaga, right? Like, like he said, <laughs> if you don't, uh, if you aren't saying that, then you're not doing it right as a fan. But there's some other really good comparisons in there, and like the Butler and the Xavier, and um, I forget there's another one he said, maybe it was like VCU or something, but. Um, yeah, and then, yeah, no, to your point, then, I think we were, were even another topic to add. It's like taking advantage of the kind of the stage, right, that you got right there. But he mentioned George Mason hadn't really, I guess, benefited off that run. And I do think he highlighted that Loyola did, right? We, again, it helps when you, you then go back to the NCAA tournament within, I guess, maybe, what, three seasons, four. Like, I don't know what the proper range is, right, to say it wasn't just a fluke. Uh, right, and then beating uh, a one seed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that also shows it might have not been a fluke, the Final Four run, right? And then going back-to-back seasons, so then you're kind of maybe less of a Cinderella, especially when you get, uh, sorry, when you get uh, seeding higher than what you got. Um, so, yeah, that was something for me that was like, yeah, I do agree that not only Loyola as a school or kind of as a program money-wise, or just, but I also think talent-wise and competition level, have taken advantage of a run um, from the Final Four, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just all good stuff. Um, and, you know, we can't say it enough. Like, Kevin Kevin knows his stuff. Like, I was impressed, you know, we're just having, like, whatever conversation about, I forget, an A-10 team, and then he drops in there like, oh, yeah, well, they I was Richmond. Like, oh, yeah, they, they got bigs that can pass. They run the Princeton offense, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, like, wow. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know that stuff off the top of my head. Um but, you know, he's not just like a – he's not just a writer. He knows the game really well. Um, he's uh, he's seriously like – I mean, we talk about, like, Drew being an up-and-coming star. Like, that dude is an up-and-coming uh, big, big, uh, big media guy for sure. Um, and he he knows the game uh, inside and out. So, yeah, it was it was such a, a good time having him on. Um, I don't know if you have any other thoughts. The other, only other thing – I want to talk about was ATM Media Day just a little bit. Um, we'll, we'll get into it a lot more next week, but um, yeah, any any last thoughts on uh, Kevin Sweeney? Hopefully, write good things. Just write good things. No. <laughs> Appreciate <laughs> yeah. the time. Appreciate the time as always. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, ATM Media Day men's basketball was last week. Um, just some of the highlights. Uh, Loyola was picked fourth in the poll. Uh, you did kind of mention that a little bit, but just behind uh, Dayton was one, SLU was two, and VCU is number three. Um, I think that kind of makes sense. Um, I think there could be some argument for Loyola being third and VCU being fourth. A lot of the rankings coming out um, have Loyola rated a little higher, like Ken Palm uh, specifically, but also um, uh, there's a couple other ones too. Uh, of course, I'm drawing a blank. Haslametrics is the other one. Um but uh and then the other fun thing was that Brayden Norris was selected to the third team, all preseason team, which is great. Uh I think he deserves that spot. Um don't really have an issue with him being higher because they're like again, Kevin has mentioned, like A San just has just insane guard play. Like they have some some really top tier guards nationally. So I think that really does make sense. Um but yeah, overall it was just kind of fun. Um Lou, any thoughts on that? I know you, we talked a little bit offline about some of the interviews that you saw, um, but I know Field of 68 was doing a great job. Yeah, I appreciated the Field of 68 more. Again, they were able to do individual coach um, instead of the group one. I think the group is always a little 
it's always tough. One, when maybe coaches don't know each other, found out that I think I heard this right, that um, Frank Martin and um, my gosh, I'm blanking on the Dayton coach. Um, uh, oh, no, I don't know. Um, they, they I'll went, look it up. Uh, they went to school together, like actual um, high school, I think it was. Uh, Anthony Grant, that's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I was like, oh, wow, small world. So in, in a way, we always thought the Valley, right, like every coach knew each other um, or they had some connection, right? Um, and uh, it, lo and behold, the again, A-10 does as well. And, again, Archie Miller being coming back. Um, so these guys, some of these guys also were there when Archie Miller was still coaching there, right? Um, I'm pretty sure the Richmond coach was there, um, because some of these coaches have been there for a long time. So it's very interesting for me when I was watching, I was like, wow, Archie Miller left and then came back and some of these coaches are still the same coaches, right? So, um, very, very, uh, interesting insight for sure, um, if for those who didn't listen, uh, Buck, do you want to tell them about uh, Drew's fashion? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was funny. So um, I guess like a few days before the uh, A10 Media Day, Drew reached out to, I think, Steve Watson or, or someone else mm-hmm. uh, within the yeah, administration and said, hey, you know, what do I need to get uh, like clothes-wise or anything else? Like what do I need to bring? And I'm not sure if Drew just like didn't see the email or maybe Steve Watson misunderstood uh, misunderstood something, but – um, I guess at some point Drew did not believe he needed a suit jacket for this for any of the events. So then comes I think Drew flew out whatever day it was Wednesday Thursday something like that, and um, he gets there and uh, our good uh, good buddy not our personal buddy but buddy of uh, Loyola Bill Barons says oh like Drew what are you wearing you know do you want me to get your suit dry cleaned or whatever it was and Drew's like uh, I don't have a I don't have a coat I don't have a suit. And uh, he, in fact, needed one. So he reached out to uh, one of the uh, members of the Atlantic 10 um, administration or whatever uh, and and said, hey, you know, I don't have a suit coat. What do I do? And this guy who we got to find his name, um, he w- just was really gracious and offered Drew his own suit coat. And uh, that that is the one that you see Drew in on media day. That sort of like tan brown sort of suit. And uh, yeah, it goes great with the outfit. I mean, he looked great. And, you know, he always does. Uh, but just such a funny, funny story that uh, he ended up borrowing a suit coat for A10 media day. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those one of those things that. Um, and again, that was covered by Good Field 68. I think they did a um, a great job. And even even that, for instance, that I was watching. I was like. The way they talked about Loyola last year, you kind of felt they weren't well-informed, especially that's why, in my opinion, it was helpful to have, and again, Kevin talked about it, uh, having people like Kevin Sweeney on after their mainstream just because then they could fill in the gaps. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I felt like because there was the A-10, because of that partnership that the A-10 conference did, it felt like they were well-informed. They knew it. Again, Archie Miller was a friend of their pod, so they were like, already. So it, it is interesting when you join a conference that – has kind of a, uh, a media attachment to it already, and then a new stream of media. I found it really, really beneficial. Again, we'll get our invitation probably next year, of course, um, to not be uh, the only podcast to cover, but we'll, we'll find a time for sure. But, no, it, it was great to see Media Day. Again, especially uh, Drew even said it great. I don't know, for those who didn't watch it, Drew kept saying this was his first one, right, in person mm-hmm. because last year wasn't in person. Right. Um, and uh, and then he had never – and then I don't think he had ever really gone to – usually it's just the head coach 
and probably a player or two, which, again, we didn't see a players at all. I, th- I was expecting to see players. I know, like, the ACC always has players, uh, Big Ten, so um, that was interesting for me to see. Um, but, yeah, again, uh, a big, big first step with a conference, and I thought it went really well for sure. Yeah, it definitely did. It was fun to see him interact with all the coaches. Um, you know, it's great to see. I love that um, we kind of mentioned it, but the relationship with – Drew and Kim English, like that's a fun matchup, um, and for a lot of different reasons, and that's a fun relationship that I'm sure will grow, and and uh, yeah, we'll see we'll see where they end up in the future. And uh, I don't know, I'm trying to think if there's any other things that stuck out to me on Media Day. Um, just a lot of teams. <laughs> there's a lot of banners. <laughs> a lot, a lot of teams for sure. Yeah. Can't wait to figure out where we're going to put our banners for sure now. Now that I think about it. Yeah, that's true. It's going to look a little different inside Genseo. Yeah. Yeah. Oh shoot, that's funny. Um, the only other, only other thing I have here, uh, tomorrow, well, I guess probably today when you all are listening to this, um, is A10 Media Day for women's basketball. So, um, keep a lookout on our on our page on Twitter. We'll be some stuff on that. Um, I think I'm gonna be writing something. I have like an idea for a story in my head. So, um, awesome. Probably, yeah, probably be. Writing a little bit about the uh, the roster, and I want to try to see if I can get some uh, thoughts from some of the girls on the team if they uh, like what the differences are from last year because they're they have eight returners of uh, thirteen, and they got a new head coach, so I'd imagine there's there's some differences there. So um, yeah, that's all I got, Lou. Any any uh, wise words to send off today? In two weeks, we'll be watching a game that includes yeah. Loyola basketball. Yeah, that's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a blast for sure. Um, well, thank you all for listening, uh, and don't forget, always remember, go Blairs.